Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. How's everyone going? Um, oh, it's so good, so good to come together and just, I mean, we can have really awesome times at home in worship and quiet times with God, but it's just, it's always such a blessing to come together in the, in the room together, isn't it? Like, it's just awesome. Yeah, it's great. So yeah, look, for those who don't know me, my name is Josh. And I just want to start, start with a story from when I was young, a story about my brother and I. Probably a few of those, actually, but... <laughs> yeah, anyway, as many, of you, um, as many of you will know, I grew up on a farm in the Otways, up near Lavers Hill, and there was this day when I was probably about 10, I suppose, uh, when my dad hired a dozer driver to clear some land near the, uh, to clear some land on the farm, and so my brother Ben and my dad and I, we went over to check on the progress. So when we got there, we parked in the paddock just above, and Dad walked across to speak to the dozer driver, and Ben and I were given strict instructions to stay in the ute. <laughs> Sounding like a similar story I told a few months back, if you were here, but, but it's different, I promise. <laughs> so anyway, Dad had been gone a little while, and we heard the dozer start up again, pushing over these huge trees, and we were pretty excited with all this, as, as you could imagine. So we thought we'd go into the gully next to the paddock to get a closer look. And we'd be back before Dad got back, right? Like, we'd get away with this. So there we were. We went down in this gully to watch these huge trees getting pushed over when Ben got his foot stuck in a tree root. And now I had to go and get Dad to help him get out. We got busted. Dad was livid as you can imagine. <laughs> and we were taken back to the ute and, um, yeah, we got the punishment we deserved, you might say. <laughs> but I remember being angry with my brother because he made us get caught. But it's funny, you know, like in hindsight, I'm glad we got found out because we learned something really important that day. We not only, not only learned that our dad knows what's best for us when he explained what could have happened, we learned that going, going against our father's instructions is a dangerous thing. So what seemed like a bit of fun could have actually cost us our lives. My dad knew the danger, and we were kids too young to understand. But it's funny, like now as a parent, um, you know, I see similar situations. I love my kids, and, and they just have to trust that, that I know what's best for them. I think we can be like this with, with our Heavenly Father too, thinking, it's just a bit of fun. Why would, why would God want us to miss out on that? Sometimes it's only small things, but God knows what's best, best for us, and He knows what He's created us to be, and wants us to know Him and the blessings He has for us. Amen. So later on, we'll read about how the Israelites turned away from God and hardened their hearts and rebelled, and we look at the, impo- the importance of learning from their mistakes. But first, we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 3, which is the next part in the Hebrew series that we've been going through. 
In this first part of the chapter, Moses is compared to Jesus. And the writer points out that Jesus is far greater than Moses, which seems really obvious to us, but remembering that this book is written to a Jewish Christian audience, it would have held Moses in very high regard. Moses was the one through who the Lord was given and the one who God chose to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. So the first, yeah, the first part is it's a comparison between Moses and Jesus. And, of course, Jesus is far greater than Moses. So I'm going to start reading from Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God, who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully, when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses just as a person who builds a house deserves far more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Think how significant this would have been to those the letter of Hebrews was written to. Moses was such an important figure to them. So for the writer of Hebrews to be saying that Jesus is far greater than Moses is really important. In scripture there are many parallels between Jesus and Moses' life. And many of these parallels show us, um, they show us what God was planning from long ago. Moses' life was a lesser image of what Christ would achieve. I'm just going to read a few of those examples. There's actually heaps if you get into it. But firstly, Moses led the people out of physical bondage and slavery in Egypt. But Jesus led the people out of spiritual bondage and slavery to sin. Moses interceded for the sins of the people, but it was only temporary and only for Israel. Jesus Jesus dealt with sin once and for all, and not just for Israel but for all who believe in him. Moses mediated the covenant between God and Israel. Jesus mediated the new covenant between God and all humanity. Moses was put in charge of the house of God, but Jesus built the house and is supreme creator of everything. So Moses was only a shadow of what Jesus would be. But Moses writes about a coming prophet that would be like him, In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, God is speaking to Moses when he says, I will rise up for them, speaking of the Israelites, I'll rise up for them a prophet like you from among the fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. And we know this is talking about Jesus. And so the people of Jesus' time, they were waiting for this this prophet who was like Moses. Even John the Baptist makes reference to this this expectation, well, this passage makes reference to this expectation when 
the teachers of the law ask John the Baptist if he is this prophet that they're all waiting for. Now John replies, no, no I'm not, but he says, I baptise with water, but among you stands the one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So yeah, so John points, points out Jesus and says, this is the guy, this is who we're waiting for. So as it says in Hebrews um, chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus is worthy of higher honour than Moses. Moses was like a caretaker, but Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, but Jesus is far greater. We read on in Hebrews about a time when Moses was the leader of Israel, about a time when Israel rebelled against God in the wilderness. Uh, this is uh, point number two, don't harden your hearts. So chapter 3, verse 7, uh, we start with, That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled. They tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. When Israel, when Israel rebelled against God in the wilderness under Moses' leadership, the consequences of that was that they could not enter the promised land. They died in the wilderness and never entered God's place of rest. The writer here, the writer of Hebrews here, is making a comparison between Moses' time and the present time between Israel and us, which we'll see in the next part too. So we'll read on chapter, uh, sorry, still chapter 3, verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that you in your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day, while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against Moses, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people who led Moses out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his place of rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his place of rest. The writer of Hebrews is continuing a point here that if Jesus is far greater than Moses and the consequences for the Israelites who hardened their hearts and rebelled against God was death, they were not able to enter God's rest because of their rebellion and unbelief. So for us, rejecting Jesus is far worse. The second half is talking about a comparison between Jesus and Moses and compares the Israelites to us. 
and it comes with a warning. We can be, we can be like Israel too sometimes. This, this part of the passage talks about hardening our hearts in context to turning away from God. As verse 15 says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And it goes on to say that our hearts become hard when we're deceived by sin. Israel was led out of, out of slavery in Egypt. They saw terrifying plagues God had sent, saw the waters of the Red Sea part. They were led by a huge cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, miraculously fed by manna from heaven, yet still hardened their hearts and turned away from God. So this part is a warning that we too can be like Israel, even though we have experienced Christ as they experienced God, and we have heard and seen the miracles as they did, we can still fail as Israel did, hardening our hearts and turning from him. It's like the story I told earlier about my brother and I. We so badly wanted to take a closer look at that bulldozer working, and dad said no, but we wanted to see it anyway. Even as the children of God, we can want things that God knows aren't good for us. Sometimes there's things in our lives, um, they might be big things, they might be seemingly very small things. But when the Holy Spirit is prompting us to walk away from them, and we don't, our hearts become hard. It's good to heed these warnings and remember that we too can fail. One thing I've learned over the years is that I'm certainly not immune to this. It's easy to make excuses and find a log logical reason to ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And when we find ourselves in this place, we can turn to Jesus because it's through Christ that we can be restored. It's because of him that we can repent and turn to God and be healed. So with this in mind, what's the opposite of a hardened heart? as Israel had, that turns away from God and a soft, repentant heart that turns toward God. God wants us to have a soft heart, a repentant heart that he can lead. Repentance is a word that we usually only hear in Christian circles. And unfortunately, it carries, carry, often carries a negative or judgmental tone, which is a shame because when we understand the true meaning of repentance... It's such a beautiful thing. While we might have grief and sorrow at the realisation that we're not living as the Holy Spirit leads us, repentance is not about shame, but, but about hope and restoration and new beginnings. In fact, when we bring our sinfulness to God, he removes our shame. It's about dying to our own desires and allowing God to change our hearts. And biblical repentance literally means to turn around or change your mind. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, it will result in action. As John the Baptist says in three eight, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 3, verse 8, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. True repentance produces a change in our actions. Now repentance, it's a softening of our heart and turning towards God. As we said earlier, it's an opposite to how Israel hardened their hearts and turned away. And this awfully, often literally changes the course of our life. 
There are many things that life, life puts in our path that are not of God. And when the Holy Spirit urges us to turn from these things and turn to God, this is where repentance comes in. It's the preparation of our hearts that we need in order to turn to God. Over the last couple of months, I've been thinking about the significance of John the Baptist. Now, this guy, John, he was a bit of a character. He lived in the Judean wilderness on a diet of locusts and honey, wild honey. He wore clothing of coarse camel hair. Sounds itchy. (laughs) Maybe it was soft camels. Um, And the guy was painfully honest. He didn't sugarcoat anything. Just said it how he saw it. In fact, John got in a lot of trouble later um, for this. But even so, he was respected respected by the people as a prophet. The Gospel of Mark begins with the story of John the Baptist. In fact, all four Gospels tell John's message within the first few chapters, which is pretty significant, I think. John's message was preparing the hearts of the people for the same message of with the same message of repentance that prepares our hearts and soften our hearts, softens our hearts, allowing us to turn to God. So repentance is the preparation for what God wants to do and bring. I'm just going to read from the Gospel of Mark. Um, chapter 1, verse 1. This is the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. Here's a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare a way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptised to show they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So considering that John was to prepare the way for the Lord's coming, for the gospel, repentance prepares our hearts like a well-prepared ground, ready to be sown. The parable of the sower refers to different types of ground to explain how the gospel seed will grow when people hear it. The first type of ground was the hard path, representing the hard hearts. And the seed fell on the ground and it couldn't grow there. The second is the ground full of weeds. And the third is the fertile ground, the repentant heart, like the soft, tilled ground, ready to receive the gospel. John's message to repent not only precedes the gospel message, but it's something that we will learn to do over and over again in our walk with God. When the Holy Spirit prompts us to change, sorry, when the Holy Spirit prompts us to change, we keep our hearts soft by responding to him. It's when we ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, sorry, ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit that our hearts become hard, like Israel's did. But the most amazing thing about being a child of God is that his goodness is not dependent on our goodness. When we know we've ran too far for too long and our hearts have become hard, we can simply turn to him and say, God, make my heart soft again. The first step is always just to turn toward him. And in doing so, we turn from sin. Repentance, uh, sorry, uh, Mr. Verse. Yeah, I was going to say to, and Jesus declares his purpose um, and who he's coming to in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, he says, 
I've come to call those to call those not who think they are righteous, but to those who know they are sinners. And then the same passage in Luke, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, repentance is literally about changing direction. To change direction, we must first look to him. Look to him in the middle of our mess, no matter where you find yourself. And I mean, nothing is hidden from God anyway, right? And what's more, his plan for our lives is far greater than anything we could imagine. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 27, it says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. See, repentance isn't about judgment and guilt. It's about freedom and an opportunity for redemption. It's motivated by the Holy Spirit and cannot be done with a hard heart. When we know our heart has become hard, we can ask him to replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh, and he will do it. Repentance is not just something for non-believers. Then once we're forgiven, we never sin again, right? No. <laughs> we all struggle with this. But the important thing is how we respond. Do we harden our hearts and turn away? Or do we turn to him and be healed, restored, forgiven and set free? This is how we keep our hearts soft. And in the letter of um, John, the first letter of John, chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, going through to two, uh, 1 to 2, um, this is a letter written to the believers. I'm not sure where, but. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Christ Jesus, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So if we do harden our hearts, prepare the soil again, pray for a soft, repentant heart, a heart willing to turn from whatever it is God is calling us from and toward him. God wants us to come to repentance so that we can see his love grow in our hearts and our lives. I was going to ask the band to come up now too, if I can. So has anyone, anyone dug any holes lately? It's a good time of year to dig holes, not... Yeah. So the other day, Fred... And John and I, we were putting up the signs at the front, which look pretty cool, don't you reckon? Except one, the wind blew the front off one, but it's fixed again now. <laughs> and so with the first hole over this side, we started digging. And just beneath, just beneath the soft grassy surface where there were, there were these hard volcanic rocks, you know, the ones that got little holes in them and they're like 
harder than concrete. And so you got out, we got out the crowbar and chipped away, loosened each one, digging it out with our hands. And eventually we broke through to this nice, soft, sandy loam. And sometimes there's a part of our heart that we've let, we've left, let go hard. And you can't even really see it's there because, because of that grassy surface on top. Everything looks fine. But underneath there's that hard rock that we just want to leave there because it just seems too hard to go through, right? But there's nothing too hard or too far, sorry, too hard or too far gone for God, yeah? I want to encourage you today, if there's something like this in your heart, don't just leave it there. God made your hearts and knows what you need and understands the way you think. Sometimes we just need to let him in. He will chip out those stones, break through the surface, and like dig them out with his hands, make your heart soft again. God is faithful to his promises and he will do it if we confess our sin, repent and turn to him and just be open with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us and you know and know what we need. No matter how messy things get, if we confess a mess to you, Lord, then you will forgive us. You take that sin and remove it and make us whole. Lord, I just pray you just help us to be sensitive to your spirit, to your leading, your calling, that still small voice. Lord, I just thank you that we have your scripture that shows us your heart and guides us and helps us to respond when you prompt us, Lord. Lord, I just pray you just help to keep our, soft, our hearts soft to you, Lord. And that, yeah, that when, we prompt, when, when you prompt us, Lord, I pray that you just help us to turn to you and choose you, Lord. Amen. The band is going to play How Great Is Our God, which is a pretty fitting song. Um, how great is our God that He knows, that He knows um, even though we're imperfect, even though we fail and make mistakes, like He's made a way for us, for us to be whole and to be forgiven. Thanks, man. <laughs>